on? Happy Thursday and welcome to Chatterbox Reds. My name is Nick Kirby. Chatterbox Reds is your daily home for live post-game shows after every Reds game on YouTube and podcasts like you're listening to right now, always available bright and early the morning after every Reds game. We are presented, as always, by Betfred Sportsbook. Coming up on today's show, myself and Trace Fowler discussed Wednesday night's Reds game. We'll talk about the big Reds news from Wednesday that Luke Weaver was DFA'd. We'll recap all the Reds minor league action and preview the Reds' next series this weekend against the Blue Jays. But first, here's what happened on Wednesday night at Great American Ballpark. It was the final game of a quick two-game series against the Cleveland Guardians, and the Reds got off to a good start. In the bottom of the first, T.J. Friedel had a leadoff single, and then Matt McClain crushed a double at 108.5 off the bat, quickly one nothing Reds. In the top of the second, got to give the Reds video review a lot of credit. Brian Rocchio of the Guardians hit a leadoff single. Andrew Abbott then struck out the next batter, but then the batter after that hit a sharp liner right at Matt McClain. McClain tried to double up Rocchio, but he threw the ball away. Rocchio went past first base, and then he failed to retouch it, coming back towards second. Replay review correctly called him out, so big win for the Reds replay review. In the top of the third, Miles Strahl hit a leadoff single off Andrew Abbott. Strahl then took second base on a flyout, and then with two outs, Jose Ramirez singled Strahl home. That tied the ball game up at one, but it could have been much worse if not for the heroics of TJ Friedel. Friedel straight robbed Ramon Lariano of a two-run home run and kept the game tied at one, one of the catches of the year. It was the rare 408-foot flyout at Great American Ballpark. In the bottom of the fourth, Christian Encarnacion Strand had a leadoff single, and then Stuart Fairchild hit a 427-foot home run, number five on the season. That made it 3-1 Reds. Later in the inning, Friedel singled, stole second, but he didn't even need to steal second because Matt McClain hit a pitch way high and out of the strike zone. He hit it on a rope out of the park to left field, 5-1 Reds. Andrew Abbott did give up a solo home run, He'd be pulled after five innings in just 84 pitches, but another good line from Andrew Abbott. Six hits, two earned runs, zero walks, five strikeouts. Obviously, Abbott certainly aided by the defense of TJ Friedel. Bottom of the fifth, Joey Votto singled, CES walked, and then Stuart Fairchild, really feeling good, got a 3-0 green light, and he ripped the single. The Guardians went to the bullpen to bring in a lefty to face Will Benson, Will Benson hit a ball right to the Guardians' first baseman. Should have been an easy 3-1 to double play, but the catcher, Bo Naylor, dropped the ball. That made it 6-2 Reds, and the Reds weren't done there. In the bottom of the sixth, T.J. Friedel had a leadoff bunt single, his 12th bunt single of the season, most in Major League Baseball. Then with two outs, Steer reached on an air by Jose Ramirez. Votto singled, and T.J. Friedel's hustle scored a run that few base runners likely would score on. That made it 7-2 Reds. And the Reds' bullpen on this night was outstanding. Fernando Cruz pitched a scoreless inning, no walks, two strikeouts. Sam Mole, a perfect inning, no walks, two strikeouts. Derek Law, a scoreless inning, no walks. And then Alan Buznitz just called up for the DFA'd Luke Weaver, also pitched a scoreless ninth inning, no walks. The Reds did not walk a batter all night. You love to see that. Reds hang on for a 7-2 win, and that was win number 63 for your Cincinnati Reds, which means the Reds have passed their win total for all of 2022. And all the doomsayers who said the Reds are going to lose 100 games this season, well, it's August 17th, and the Reds could lose every single game the rest of the season, and they can't reach 100 losses. All right, here's what David Bell had to say about the Reds' big win. 
The TJ Friedel catch in center field and the third rank in best catches you've ever seen. Yeah, it was. it's right up there. I mean, everything about it, um, I think you have to start with just what a big play it is in the game because it takes two, two runs off the board. It changes everything. Um, but then the actual play, the timing, the, um, I mean, I, I asked TJ if he could dunk after that because he said he could if he could palm the ball, but like, I mean, he really got up. So between that and the timing and just covering that much ground, um, I think it just goes back to to TJ being such a winning player. Um, he plays so hard and cares so much that I, I think that leads to a lot of the plays that we see him make because he's always looking to make a difference in the game. And, uh, you know, and then his ability takes over. But it really starts with that desire to do something to help us win a game, no matter what part of the game it is. You guys 11-3 and three when Andrew Abbott starts. He's pitched a whole lot of innings. Will load management become an issue from this point forward at all? Um, not the way he looks now. Obviously, we got to keep a close eye on, on, on Andrew and, and other guys. But, um, you know, tonight it was a, a, an opportunity that, you know, maybe, you know, he could have gone six or seven innings. But, um, you know, little things like that could help in the end. Um, but there's not not any real concern. I mean, our goal is to get him through the whole year. I mean, there, there's a lot to be taken from that experience as well. And if something changes and we're seeing something different, we'll do what's best for Andrew. But right now, the goal is to get him through the whole season. All right, here was Andrew Abbott on his start and TJ Friedel's big play. What's going through your mind when the ball leaves the bat? And then how does that emotion change when you see the play that, that Friedel made? Um, I think it's safe to say me and Luke both thought it was going to be a homer, um, and then it wasn't. Uh, you know, it's in the moment. I think it was like hands up, saying like "Oh my God," which is my still my reaction. You know, I would not have been in the game as long, and it would have been a different ball game if he didn't make that catch. So, uh, you know, props to him. And I found out after the fact that they actually practiced the drill today. So, you know, it's I guess they knew something was going to happen. I don't know. Besides TJ, what what made you so effective for the five innings you were out there today? I think just mixing and matching speeds, really. keep Trying to keep them off balance. Um, and then the guys behind me playing defense, too, had some good catches. TJ had some good catches. Um, some good defense in the infield for me on some ground balls. And, you know, we came up with a game plan to just kind of throw the kitchen sink at them, and it kind of worked. Your pitch count was up a little bit tonight, but I'm wondering, do you think the five innings with that big lead was more kind of maybe just trying to manage some innings as the season goes on? Um, maybe. I, I don't really don't really know that, but that could be the case. But, you know, I just kind of go until DB says, hey, you're done, and that's kind of just how we all operate. Remember in the minors, you said you were working on your changeup. I think you know, made, you know, one of the biggest pitches of the game to strike out to Ramirez. Like, how, how much has that pitch kind of made a jump over the course of the season? I found the more that I throw it, the more confidence I kind of have in it, and the more it gives me the ability to use it in different situations. And I think that will remain true as long as I continue to develop it and just try to continue to make it better than what it is right now. It's a tough situation, you know, a guy who really, like, how, how much does this help having, like, so many options, so many things you can turn to? It certainly doesn't hurt. Um, it, it kind of, it, it gives you a little wiggle room, right, because they can't really sit on one thing um, in certain counts. And I think if you're able to throw them all for strikes, that's when you really have the most success. Here's what Matt McClain had to say about the Reds' win. Kind of a slower start for you post-All-Star break, but what a game for you this evening. What does that do for you mentally? Uh... I don't know. It's just fun, like when you can contribute like that to a win. Um, just get back on track and and get back to myself and try and get back to my approach. It's all I'm trying to do. Um, and for it to show up today was a good feeling for me. Can you explain why you've been so prolific against Noah Syndergaard? I, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I just got some good pitches to hit. And what can you say about your fellow rookie Andrew Abbott? Eleven and three, you guys are when he starts. It's really fun to play behind him when he's rolling like that, making pitches, like um, not wasting a lot of pitches, and like you know there's going to be contact, and you know he's going to strike guys out as well. Um, so it keeps you on your toes, and it keeps you in a good rhythm of the game um, on defense. Your thoughts on T.J. Friedel's home run, Rob, Rob Job, yeah. in, the, in the third? That was sick. That's <laughs> all I got. That was sick. And lastly, some quick thoughts from Guardians manager Terry Francona on T.J. Friedel's big night. Talk about what their defensive plays made compared to what your defense made. How much of a difference in the game do you feel like that? Yeah, I mean, Friedel was a huge factor in the game. I think he scored three, and 
took away at least two, and you know he he was, seemed like he was all over the place tonight. Some good news in the NL Central race: the Brewers lost their second straight game to the Dodgers, so the Reds are now just two and a half back in the NL Central. In the wild card race, the Marlins got crushed by the Astros, so the Reds are now in a three-way tie for the final wild card spot with the Marlins and Cubs. Cubs shouldn't be there. They had a disgusting win on Wednesday night when the White Sox absolutely choked late in the game. Christopher Morrell had a three-run walk-off home run. But other good news in the wild card race, the Reds are also just a game and a half behind the San Francisco Giants who hold the second wild card spot. And that is a team the Reds still play three games against at the end of this month. All right. Here's myself and Trace Fowler discussing a wonderful Reds win on Wednesday night. Nick, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well tonight. You know, any night that Stuart Fairchild hits a home run, of course, it's it's a damn good night. Well, yeah you 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 should enjoy this. You should enjoy this night. You should I enjoy am. this night. I am. You should enjoy this night. I mean, Stuart Fairchild. I have said in the past. I, I still do believe this. I think he's a good fourth outfielder on a decent team, good team, and I think he's a decent. Decent, pretty decent defensive outfielder. Um, will he hit enough to be able to stick around in the big leagues? I don't know. Time will tell. He's one of the few guys that has an outside chance to stick around a little while, I think. Uh, if, you, if you're an infielder, I don't know where, you know. Kevin Newman, Stuart Fairchild, I know they get a lot of heat. Of all, of, of Especially between those two guys, there's without question, Stuart Fairchild has the best chance of sticking around here for a little while. Yeah, I mean, you got three left-handed outfielders. So, I mean, if you're a right-handed outfielder in the Reds organization, it's a pretty good time to be alive. Um, yeah. And Seward Fairchild, I think, is still quite a bit away from arbitration. So he's still going to be a cheap player, which is important. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit more. But, yeah, what a, what a fun night. Hey, you know, this was a huge win. Look, you, you split a series with the Guardians. That's what you expect, right? You play two-game series, you expect to, to split against a decent team. Yep. You just won a series against the Pirates. Yep. I mean, that's back-to-back solid series, and then the series before that, you should have won against the Marlins. So, really, post-Nationals, it hasn't been terrible, right? That's how I feel. I I, I do think that this team's starting to gel uh, and gel is in, like, maybe get a little bit of their swagger back, a little more confidence, um, and maybe that's just a, a little overreactionary. But, you know, it, it, there's when you look at a season when it's all over and you look back at certain periods of time, Certainly, if you're, you know, last year is an exception, um, more so than the rule. I just think that you realize that there's going to be spells that we just had at some point in the season, unless you're just an unbelievable elite team, right? I mean, the Braves, the Rays, maybe the Dodgers, they're in their own little class, the Orioles. But outside of that, every single team, I obviously put that clip up yesterday kind of making fun of all the NL the NL wildcard teams. That it just seems like none of them can find a way to make the extra run that they need to run to get to get themselves separated from the pack. Maybe the Phillies are trying to do that, but but you get my point. Between the Marlins, the Cubs, and uh, the Diamondbacks and the Reds, you could make an argument maybe outside of the Cubs that they're all pretty bad. They've been bad. And the Giants Reds are Giants. now a game game and a half behind the Giants, so that's your game and a half within two playoff spots. So that that's the nice thing here is that look, there's also a possibility that one of these teams just goes crazy hot, like they could have a 12 game win streak like the Reds did, right? And that could really make whatever you do pointless. We saw it with the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean the Reds collapsed in 2021, but the Cardinals also won 17 games in a row and ended up winning 91 games and it kind of got to a point where it really was never really realistic. So that's the nice thing is that you're within reach of two playoff spots. Phillies aren't Phillies are still three games within the Phillies. So really they are within reach of three spots, but that's what makes it encouraging to me. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's a lot of encouraging things when you look at the standings, there's not the most encouraging thing is that when I look at the standings, there's not a team that scares me either. I mean, there's not a team that I'm like, oh, man, it's just a matter of time before they figure it out and they're going to go on a run. They're too good not to go on a run or they're too good not to run away from everybody. It's that's just not the case. There's not there's not anyone that I look at that I think, oh, wow, um, we're going to have trouble against them. I mean, not to get off the track, but do you remember the Padres? The Padres, they were buyers at the deadline. Like, do you remember that? I remember that. 
I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm not, I, I hope, you know, maybe I don't want to jinx anything, but. Yeah, ooh, I don't want to jinx it. They're, they're still, they're still within oh, yeah, five yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know? you know, it reminds me of the Cardinals fans about a month in that kept telling themselves they were good too. Like, oh, we just got to turn it around. They're like, oh, are you sure? You guys are like 15 games below 500. Are you sure you're going to turn it around? Anyway. All right. I digress. Clip it up if the Padres end up making the playoffs. I'm sorry. This is, it's my fault if they do. Nick, we have something called the deep drive of the game. The deep, deep drive of the game. It's by Deep South Commodities. And I already know who Nick Kirby has in the slide. I can't wait for it. Who is it? Who is it? Everyone's asking, what could it possibly be? Stuart Fairchild. I'll say it again because it don't happen a lot. Stuart Fairchild. 427 feet. How fast was it off the bat? 103 miles an hour off the bat. Good for Stuart. Good for his family. Shout out to Stuart's generational wealth for what he did tonight. I really am thankful for Stuart Fairchild to be on this team. You should be thankful as well. Shout out to Stuart Fairchild again on the deep, deep drive of the game. As a reminder, that is sponsored by DSC, and they are a leader in renewable commodities for biofuel production, specializing in used cooking oil, collection, aggregation, and sales. Hopefully you got that. Because if you didn't, you can visit www.deepsouthcommodities.com for more information if you didn't get it. But just a reminder, that is Stuart Fairchild who hit the deep, 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 deep drive of the game. 427 feet. 103 off the bat, if you didn't know. I'll tell you what, I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting to feel it. I am starting to feel like we're back. I know it sounds stupid. I know it's all, it's just one game. They just split with Cleveland. The Guardians, nothing's all that special. I'm telling you, this is it. I'm going to tell you right now, Nick, this is it. The next two weeks is the season. If this team is tied for a wild card spot and or within a half game or one game, I think they, I think they make it. I think they make it. It's not just scheduling. I think that they, they need to find their mojo back against decent baseball teams, and they're going to play some decent baseball teams in the next week and a half. And then from there, I don't want to say they have some layups. They do have some layups. They, I, but we did get swept by the Nationals, so I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant in saying that. Yeah, and it's not just good baseball teams that the Reds are going to be facing. They're going to be facing most of the top of the, the rotation guys for those teams, assuming that, that where they're at in the, uh, their rotations hold. So, yeah, I mean, the Reds are going to be facing like Otani. They're going to be facing... Prize possession, Lucas Giolito next week. Um, they're going to be going through the tough pitchers with the Blue Jays. We'll get to them in a minute. Uh, they are going to miss Zach Gallen, but they will get Merrick Kelly in the next series. And then the Giants, you know, they're always going to be tough with their pitching. So the Reds are going to have a really, really tough test with their offense. You know, thankfully, nice that you put up a seven spot before you kind of get into that. Uh, and hopefully that can um, um, build a little bit. Stuart Fairchild, we, we, we obviously uh, poked and prodded, had a little bit of fun with it. Um, it was nice to see him contribute. I think that he was unjustly sent down earlier this year. I was the first to say that out loud. I'm not saying that I was right, but I did say that. I think that you obviously have been a Stuart Fairchild fan, even during that Brass Band Festival when I told him that he was going to be long forgotten and nobody was ever going to hear about Stuart Fairchild long. Uh, and so, so I do want to admit, you were the first guy on the Stuart Fairchild thing. For all the 15 people that were watching the Brass Band Festival show, I do want to say I apologize for what I said about Stuart Fairchild during that event, but I was also not in my good state of mind. So um, your overall thoughts on Stuart, beside the jokes, obviously, and and then from there, what does this mean going forward for him, if anything? Yeah, I think he's a nice fourth outfielder. Uh, I think he's got potential to maybe be more if he hits his ceiling. Uh, but right now, I think he's he's really great in his role. Uh, I think he's a guy that, that should continue to platoon, uh, whether it's with Jake Fraley, whether it's with Will Benson. Um, he, he just he, he does a lot of things well. It, it, does he do anything great? I don't know yet, but uh, I think he's a solid player. Uh, he, he stuck with it. The guy got sent down, like you said, really was not deserving at that point. His numbers were really looking good. And then when he came back, his numbers, you know, he's really struggled for the first couple of weeks, but it looks like he's kind of picking back up where he left off. So uh, I think he's a nice, he, Stuart Fairchild is just one of those many guys that have just been big contributors to this team this year. That's what's really been fun about this team, I think, is that there's so many guys that uh, 
have have really done a lot of little things. And I know that can be such a such hyperbole in that. But if you really look through all the players, obviously you have your guys that have really lifted the heavyweights, like like Matt McLean, right. like Spencer Steer, like Andrew Abbott. But there's also guys like Stuart Fairchild, like Luke Maley, picking yep. up the slack at catcher, that that have really done a lot of good things that have helped this team be in a playoff position in yeah. mid-August. And and, and and listen, and I want to say Ellie for like two two and a half weeks. I mean, we're not yeah. uh, like I, I you know that's the one thing about Ellie that I just don't want it to go. It, it, we can't be this. Um, and this is what I was a little bit scared of when he first came up. It's always concerning when you have as much hype and and and, and you know it's the only rookies jersey in the, in in the entire stadium and again I'm I'm being a little facetious in saying this I don't know if that's 100% true but it's certainly without question the most marketed jersey there was was Ellie De La Cruz Ellie De La Cruz and it's like well, I don't know man Matt McClain and Spencer Steer have been doing that they're pretty damn good we probably should we probably should include them in that group but I get it Ellie came with a lot of hype but I also don't want to go so far off one end where we act like he's uh, like I'm an idiot and said he's the the best player that I've ever seen and and you know what I probably should have said he's the most talented player I've ever seen. I, I I think that's the probably a more appropriate thing. But you know what? I'll stand by it. I said it. It is what it is. Crush me for it. However, I also don't want to go to the opposite end where you just act like this guy's absolutely horrible and he doesn't provide any value and substance. The thing that's becoming air apparent by the day. So clear. Clear as glass. It's been cleaned time and time again. Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McLean are your middle infield for the foreseeable future. There's no arguing it. You can't argue it anymore. You've seen enough of it, right? You've seen enough of it. We've all seen enough of it. This isn't even a debate anymore. It's not even a discussion. It's that a was my only thing about Matt McLean. He's been a dog all year. He's been unbelievable all year. I know that we always gloss over him, but seriously, what else am I supposed to say about this kid? He's He is a just a dirt bag, a gritty player. All the terms that you would like to use that are endearing to a baseball player, He he reminds me of a kid that's been a, he's been a great baseball player since he's five years old. And he knows how to play the game. One quick point on Elliot since you brought that up. Uh, let's be clear. Reds have no chance this season without that 12-game win streak. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. And Elliot De La Cruz was the best player on the team during that 12-game win streak. So, yeah, he's, he's struggled certainly of late, but that lifted the Reds to even have this chance. And then obviously guys like Matt McLean and, and, and Spencer Steer all year ha- have been the guys that have, that have filled the, the, the large gaps around that. But Reds have no chance without that 12-game win streak. Right. Yeah, we know that. I just think that it's one of those things where it does become frustrating when you watch Ellie because he's a frustrating player to watch sometimes. When you're a free-swinging, no-plate-disciplined kid, it's going to rub a good portion of the fan base wrong when things don't go well, and that's that's what happens sometimes. Uh, TJ Friedel made an unbelievable play in center field. If you've not seen it, go find it anywhere on uh, on Twitter or or the MLB app. A great play, a great play. I don't want to overreact, but that's kind of where I'm at now with with TJ. I just don't. I get the idea that he, that he doesn't doesn't sit a whole lot, Nick. But I don't want him to sit at all. I really don't, unless. Like I said before, unless he's severely injured, I'm with you. I don't. I don't think he's a platoon player. I feel like I've been pretty consistent. Yeah, you said that. that all along. And he's he's not been a platoon player. He's just gotten rest in certain times, or he's he's been given an opportunity to have a day off during platoon opportunities. It feels like, and it just becomes frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense though if you are going to give him day off, days off. I, that it I is understand. Against, it is against love, and it's not about. T.J. Friedel, it's about his replacement having the most success Correct. on those off days. That's what it's about. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, T.J. Friedel, I mean, that was a huge catch. I mean, remember, this was a 1-1 game. You fall down 3-1. Yeah. You, you know, who knows where the game goes from there? You know, maybe the Guardians are a little more aggressive going to their better relievers. All those kind of things can happen. That was an absolutely huge catch. Uh, he, he's just a really good player. And T.J. Friedel is a guy that I caution saying this because you can go overboard with this. He's a guy that really defies a lot of what Stack S says. And I know you can say that because if you like a player and, and you can really get get right. easily into some, some bad 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 faith arguments on that. But sort of I mean, twelve month singles, Stackcast does not factor that in to your your hard hit rates and all that kind of stuff. And he isn't He's an excellent. He's cl- he's close to an elite level defensive center fielder. I, I don't want to say he's like the best of the best, but man, he's really, really, really good out there. And uh, 
he's just he's had an awesome awesome season and an awesome I guess like he really had an awesome like 365 days because he was really really good in August and September last year too you know of all the guys of the team and you sat me down and you gave me maybe a minute and a half or two minutes on each player I could probably rattle off four or five times this year where they they did something that was like ah they probably shouldn't have done that Maybe Matt McClain's one of the few guys. Even tonight he made a mistake. But Matt McClain has only had a few opportunities where you could say he made a mistake as well. TJ Friedel, really, outside of that one play that was boneheaded in center field. And when I say boneheaded, man, I'm, I'm telling you, that was, that was, that was an all-timer. I mean, if you're going to make a mistake, you get your money's worth. And TJ Friedel got his money's worth, let me tell you on that one. Um, but outside of that one play, I, I, I really think TJ Friedel has been spectacular, unbelievable. So, you know, will it continue, uh, in the, in the foreseeable future? I, I don't know, but again, without TJ, where are we at? And that's the thing that's crazy is because the depth in the outfield from a defensive standpoint, is not that great. I mean, I know Will, I know people give Will Benson and they're, they, you know, they're like, oh, Will Benson, good defender. He, he can make some great plays. Will Benson's athleticism allows him to make great plays. Will Benson's just a little raw for me out there. There's times where he just gets really, he, he and I say really bad. I'm not trying to talk too down on, on Will Benson, but he just doesn't get the best reads sometimes. And there's times where he looks a little shaky in the outfield. I don't ever get that with TJ a whole lot. You know, he's, he's, he's usually getting a great jump. He usually makes the play. And, and even Stuart Fairchild, a guy that I've said that I think plays pretty good defensively. He made one really, really bad play. Would it have made a difference in the grand scheme of things in the game? I don't know. You can make the argument it could have. You can make the argument it would have. But one play out in Wrigley that, at least in Cincinnati, it's as, it's as famous as a Steve Bartman play with dropping the, the fly ball out there because everybody always points to that, Nick, you know? so And and that's just not happened with TJ yet this year. Hopefully, knock on wood here, that doesn't happen to him. But he's been excellent, and uh, this defense, you know, was a little shaky the last, if we're being honest, the last week or so. The defense was a little shaky. Um, there was still a couple plays today that obviously weren't made. Um, you know, the Votto ball comes to mind. The, the Spencer Steer throw comes to mind. Maybe you could even argue the McLean play. But at the end of it, Nick, I'd like to think we're playing better baseball, and, and a large part of that is when T.J. Friedel plays well, so do the Reds. Yeah, I think some of that defense also could, could be some of the offensive struggles just kind of carrying over when he's try, trying to do a little bit too much um, when, when things just start going going well. I think you could maybe – you know, see so that all kind of that that all kind of falls in line. But when you have a a rotation full of so many young pitchers, uh, your defense is really really important. So yeah, I do think they played a little better of late. And uh, T.J. Friedel is well, T.J. Friedel, and then as we mentioned earlier, that that middle of the infield. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, if you hit the ball up the middle or if you hit the ball to center field, you feel really good, and that's the the spots you want to have your best defenders at. No doubt. And like I said before, when was the last time you felt like as a Reds team? I'm being serious. When was the last time as a Reds team you felt great about your center fielder and your shortstop and your second baseman? All right, Andrew Abbott um, needed a good start, needed somebody to come out and, and, and kind of steer the ship and, and make sure, again, that uh, we didn't have a, a you know a huge issue in regards to, to, to getting – He's been he's been so good all year that you don't come to expect that. But I do want to remind everybody, he is a rookie – there is a small chance that he goes two and two and two thirds innings or three innings and gives up five or six runs and you're in a, you're in a little bit of a world of hurt. He's not been that though, so shout out to Andrew Abbott and his and his rookie self. Yeah, uh, another just solid start from Abbott. What did you, what do you think about them pulling, pulling him? him? I mean, this I was, felt like a good opportunity if you're going to do yeah. that. I think what they did was they felt like they had a day off tomorrow. Right, I don't think they'd do that if they were going into like a twelve game, twelve games in a row type situation. They knew they had the day off tomorrow. They knew they had a fresh bullpen, and I think they felt really good about playing add on in the situation they were in. So I think that they assumed that in their mind, it wasn't going to be a pitcher's duel. Um, and to be fair to the Reds and their decision making, the Reds could have scored like 10, 11 runs easy. They were two hits away from that, you know. And again, no, we can't be perfect here. But Stuart Fairchild had a chance with guys in scoring position with two outs. Luke Maley had a chance with guys in scoring position uh, with two outs. I think Spencer Steer had a chance. Like There was multiple chances that they could have played add-on. They didn't, but that's here nor there. They still scored seven runs. Um, 
I don't have a problem with it. I do think that the one statistic or the one graphic that popped up during the broadcast that was interesting was that he threw in 135 innings so far this year. The next closest amount of innings that he threw in a, in a year was when he played at Virginia and then threw in rookie ball, which was 119 innings, and he threw 118 innings uh, just last year. So he's already 15, 20 innings past what he had thrown last year. Uh, but the Reds have said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, the Reds have said they're not putting a pitch count limit on Andrew Abbott. He's going out there and he's throwing. As long as he's healthy, he's going to pitch. So uh, I didn't make too much of it. I know I'm usually the guy that screams and yells about you know, letting guys go farther into games, et cetera, et cetera. But just like I said yesterday or last night, there's a time and a place for everything. I didn't have an issue with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, I it's really easy to say right now, yeah, we're not going to limit him on a pitch count. And then it gets a little further in the season. And maybe, you know, you just, the, there's the slightest, like, him in the training room, you know, uh, saying I'm sore, but you know, not, not even like in a, in a like negative way, like he's complaining or anything. Uh, and you go, yeah, you know what? We need to shut him down. You know, it's, I feel like it's really easy to say that right now. And, and a lot without knowing what he's going to look like in mid September. But yeah, I mean, the Reds might have to, you know, they, they, they might be wise to have him maybe just do some three or four inning starts down the stretch, especially once you get, you know, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo back, um, to kind of keep them fresh, but it's going to really, I guess, be a situation of where are the Reds in the race. I mean, that's going to de- determine, I think, right. as much as as much as anything, because if the Reds, God forbid, fall out of the race, Andrew Abbott's getting shut down. One hundred percent. I don't think there's any question about that. I also think that, it, and this sounds wild to say, I think there's a chance they'll skip a start of his if 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 the way the schedule the way the schedule plays yeah. out i think they could skip a start of andrew abbots especially if uh, green and lodolo come back and they're healthy and they throw the ball well um i know they dfa'd weaver obviously which makes things you know uh maybe a little less likely that they're going to be skipping starts of guys but you know we'll see how it all ends up you just don't know i mean hell who knows they could go there could be a chance where the reds are supposed to play you know a three-game series against somebody and two of the three games gets rained out and, you know, Andrew Abbott ended up skipping a start because of that. I, you know, who knows? So that's here nor there. You do have five off days in September. So, I mean, that you could skip him without even, you know, messing your rotation up. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that could also be be certainly uh, part of the plans and, and, and would make a lot of sense. And, you know, you're hoping that Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo are as fresh as right. anyone. Uh Everyone talks about them coming back rusty, and that's absolutely a possibility. But there's also a possibility Hunter Green comes back looking as strong as he's ever looked. It's also a possibility Nick Lodolo comes back looking as strong as he ever looked, and uh, they're really able to dominate some of these bad teams. It could really go either way, uh, but but that's a possibility as well. Nothing would shock me at this point, depending on how the season goes. We'll move down to Luke Weaver here. Obviously, he was designated... He's going to clear waivers, so I'm assuming he's going to be in Louisville in no time. So, I don't know. I, have, I, I get I get everyone wants to dance on the guy's grave. I get that I've been a Luke Weaver stan, and I've been made fun of for that. I, I, I genuinely mean this. I don't know why I have an affinity for him a little bit, but maybe it's because they've won so many times when he's thrown the ball, so it just kind of doesn't feel as bad. I'm not as pissed off about it. I I know people are going to kill me for saying this, Luke Weaver's not an eight and a half, nine ERA guy in the major leagues. He's just not. I know that's what it says he is. He's better than that. I'm not suggesting for one second that he should ever pitch against a uh, pitch again in a Reds uniform as a starter. Um, maybe there's likelihood where he could be a mop up guy or kind of a long reliever at some point in the major leagues. But he's not. You know, I just don't think he's as bad as he's been this year, which is unfortunate for the Reds because they obviously could have used him. But the thing is, is what, what's really crazy about this, Nick, is that, I mean, what's the guy's... And, and, and listen, I'm, I, I get it before I say this out loud and everyone starts just ripping me. You can't just say, well, since he's 9-1 and one or 10-1 and one, that you keep him around because at some point, obviously, that's all going to iron itself out and they're going to start losing at, at basically at nauseum with Luke Weaver on the mound. And you're and you're right. However, I do want to remind everyone, if Luke Weaver had like a two and a half ERA in that same stretch of baseball, 
his record's probably the same. Like, the Reds win the same amount of games. So, I don't know. I mean, again, you got to do it, Nick, but I'm not dancing on the guy's grave. Put it that way. I, I don't really ever get a thrill out of, like, anyone getting DFA. I don't know. <laughs> well, I might. So, I, I, I won't say that. You're too nice of a guy, but I might. I mean, th- these guys are all, you know, chasing their dream, doing everything they can. Uh, but, yeah, like what you said, like, uh, so the Reds are 12-9 and nine in in starts. That's not win-loss record. That's actual games. Reds went 12-9. and nine. And Mike Miner last year with a better ERA, the Reds went 4-15. and 15. So if the Reds went 4-15 and 15 and Luke Weaver starts, it probably feels a lot worse. Oh, definitely. I'm done ever projecting what will happen to a player that gets DFA because I feel like I'm wrong every single time. Like, I think early in the year, I was like, yeah, I think Henry Ramos will get picked up and then there was like no interest. And so I have no idea. Maybe someone does pick him up. Teams are desperate for pitching. Maybe, maybe not. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be dancing around too much that you'll never see Luke Weaver again, because we've seen guys get DFA'd and somehow find their way back up. But I will say though, I'm a little confused on the Reds usage with Weaver. Like, I guess their thought was, we're just going to run him out there every day until we have no use for him and we're getting rid of him. I'm surprised that they never tried an opener. I'm surprised that they didn't try him in the bullpen at some point. I, I do feel like that's a little strange. I mean, obviously they know more than I do, but I, I do feel like the way they used him after you were pretty much for sure he was not going to be an effective start, which I'm sure for some people was after three starts, some people was after 10 starts, whatever. But I do feel like the way they used him was a little different. Yeah. No, I mean, they, didn't, they never used an opener. We were calling for an opener after, like, his fourth start. Um, I, I don't know. I, he was bad. He was bad. I can't defend him. He was bad. But here's here's what I'll say about it. I think this is where the affinity for Luke Weaver comes in. This is where I have a little bit of an appreciation for him. The SOB was there, man. The SOB picked the ball up and went out there. He didn't complain. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't pout about it. You never see him throwing temper uh, temper tantrums on the mound. He was a good clubhouse guy. He went out there and he just tried to do his job the best that he possibly could. I know this is Major League Baseball. I know you don't get participation trophies, but... You could have been. He could have been just a loser. He could have been a, a kind of an egotistic maniac about the whole thing. He, he didn't do that. He kind of knew his role, knew where he stood in line, and he did his job the best as he could. And I thought there was a couple starts where he, he gave his team a relatively decent ch- chance to win, and he was a hell of a lot better than Connor Overton, and he was a hell of a lot better than Luis Sessa. If you don't remember back, if you can't remember back, or you didn't watch the first two and a half weeks of baseball for this baseball team, then I understand why you probably think Luke Weaver's absolutely garbage in. He's not good. I'm, I'm not saying he's good. But he, he at least never had an outing, in my opinion, where he gave up eight, nine runs in the first two innings of the game, and you were completely out of it from the start. Did he give up three or four? Did he give up three or four? Yeah, maybe he did a couple times. But he also then threw, to be fair to him, he then threw three or four shutout innings to give yourself a chance to get yourself back in the game. I don't think it's coincidental that the offense just magically also hit behind him as well. You know, I, I he was 9-1, 10-1. Maybe you could say it was pure coincidence. I don't think it was just pure coincidence. I think, again, he battled... And I think the team always felt like they were still they still had a chance to win the game when he was pitching. Um, and again, by all means, he wasn't good. Not trying to say that he was good. Not trying to say that he shouldn't have been DFA'd. Any of that. But it could have been worse is what I'm getting at. It really could have been worse. You could have had Luis Sessa out there giving up 10 runs in the first inning and you wanted to pull your hair out and not watch the Reds again. Which happened, I think, like twice this year, Nick. Yeah, I mean, the only true start that Levi Stout made this year give up seven runs like that was on like the first like two innings so I mean look if you you're just calling guys up from triple a uh you can have some really really ugly starts but uh it, it to your point it would have been very easy to be a guy like Luke Weaver and say hey my shoulders barking when I got a six and a half ERA you know but hey he he right he filled his role and get yeah. Luke a ring get Luke yeah. a ring yeah listen here's the thing uh Steve Ross just put in the chat that he should have been DFA'd earlier. I think I think that's true if everyone was healthy. That's where a little of my affinity comes for Luke Weaver. <laughs> like, 
your best ability is availability. He was available. He, he was there to throw the ball. He, 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 you know what? Like he served a purpose for this team. And I know this sounds crazy to say, and people might crush me for saying it, but without Luke Weaver, what the hell did we have behind him? There's a reason he, there's a reason we kept him around forever. I mean, we were desperate for anyone to go out there and throw the ball over the plate. And let me tell you, he threw it over the plate. It got hit hard, but you can't say he didn't try. All right, that's enough of Luke Weaver. I'm not. I, I know people think oh, I'm a stan. I am a huge fan. Whatever. Listen, it is what it is. I'm. Gonna, I'm not worried about Luke. I'm sure he'll have a great life. He's he's a millionaire. He'll be fine. But my main point is, is that you know, uh, it could have been worse. That's all. One thing I, I wanted to bring up because uh, Charlie Goldsmith was with you earlier today on off the bench, uh, and I thought Charlie made a really good point. Uh, maybe the, maybe the best point about the whole conversation about Luke Weaver, about the trade deadline, if you really want to put blame on the Reds for why Luke Weaver is pitching in August, I, I it's not the trade deadline. It is the offseason. The Reds should have spent more money on a pitcher other than Luke Weaver. Luke, They should have still signed Luke Weaver, but they should have signed someone else on top of that right. and had Luke Weaver maybe be that reliever, long guy, whatever. And so they wouldn't have to go uh, overpay at the deadline because that's Correct. what you have to do because you could have Charlie said and, he, and he's dead on like you could have signed Zach Eflon uh, for I mean that's really cherry picking because he's had a great year but again he only signed for like I think six million or something like that like you could have went if you spent a little bit more you could have got a, a, the kind of pitcher you wanted at the trade deadline for nothing other than money Correct. Uh, so that's and I get it. this was a season where you weren't expecting anything but hey when it happens you probably deserve some criticism for not spending a little bit more and uh, trying a little bit harder because what's the worst case you saw? Well, I mean, I guess the worst case is they completely suck, but right. you also could sign one of these guys and your team falls apart, but they pitch well and you could trade them for another prospect, which we, we all believe is super valuable. So that, right. that it, it, that's where the criticism should be. If you want to be the one who says criticism, it should be on the Reds lack of spending on starting pitching at the uh, before the season, then the deadline, in my opinion. Yeah, the only the only the only counter argument that you would be making to that in regards to not going out and getting a pitcher from last offseason is that if you looked at this team, they were projected to lose almost a hundred games. People were saying they were going to be the worst team in baseball. You know, I don't know if management was up for spending six seven million dollars on a starting pitching that the pitcher that was only going to be available for maybe one year for what is really the question that probably was at hand. And let's be honest, the Reds, the Reds front office, the Reds management, they thought that they were building something special, I'm sure, internally. But they're, they're ahead of schedule. They, they, they're, they, were, they were fooled by their own success. They never expected in a million years that they would be sitting here on August 16th uh, fighting for their playoff lives. And yeah, am I, is that an excuse? I think it's a reasonable one. I'm not suggesting that that for one second that, that they should get every pass in the world, but to your point, if there was ever a time to get a starting pitcher, it was last offseason, not at the trade deadline, because they were asking for too much. And basically, Charlie Goldsmith, during the show today on Off the Bench, basically said that without saying it. He just said Nick Crawl wanted to make more deals at the deadline. That was obviously, apparently, he was frustrated by the, the them not being able to make deals. But they weren't just going to give away the guys that people were asking for, because the, the, the it was entirely too much. You know, they were, they would have, they would have been, it would have been highway robbery. In, in their opinion, to give up the prospects that they were asking for. And it clearly they didn't say what the prospects were, but I think we can all take our guesses of who those guys were um, for a rental pitcher. Uh, and again, as you've mentioned a thousand times, 25, 30% chance to make the postseason, probably not a good idea to go out and, and, and kind of sell the farm, if you will, when those are your odds. All right. Um, but, but, go ahead. Real, real quick, real quick. Just, just playing devil's advocate, though, to that. Even if this season went off the rails... You could trade. You could potentially trade that pitcher for prospects. It's essentially buying prospects if you would have spent a little bit more money. If and that I'm not player's the guy, good, I, yeah. But but again, it, it's 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 basically throwing a lottery ticket at being able to get a prospect if if your season fails. So yeah. I I haven't been a guy that's been the red spending's awful. It's terrible. Was I, I look at what they spend compared to other mid mid markets, and I don't think it's all that bad. But this year. It wasn't as good as it's been in previous years. And yes, there's that built-in excuse. And I'm not going to sit here and just be like, lose sleep over it. But they probably should have spent more. Because 
they could have maybe bought a prospect out of it too if things didn't go this way. So that that's where I think the criticism should be if you're one that wants to sit here and criticize. All right, let's get you caught up on all the Reds minor league action from Wednesday. First, we'll start with AAA. This was a day game. Uh, Louisville playing the Iowa Cubs, and it was a tough one for the Bats. They lost 10-5. to Louisville Bats now 60-54 and on the season. Levi Stout, there's one prospect that maybe has had one of the more disappointing seasons. It's probably Stout. Four and a third, eight hits, seven earned runs allowed. Stout now has a 6.18 ERA through 17 starts at AAA this season. Novi Marte, he was one for three with two walks. Also had a line out over 100 miles an hour off the bat. Jose Barrero, another good day. Two for five with a triple. Also stole his 13th base at AAA. And one note on Barrero, it's only 49 at bats, but Barrero is hitting 347 with a 694 slugging percentage against left-handed pitchers at AAA. So, player to watch as the rosters expand here in a couple weeks. Will the Reds bring him back up? Reds give him another chance? Maybe the Reds put him into a platoon role? Certainly has done well at Louisville. Nixon Zell finally made his debut uh, for Louisville after being um, demoted uh, last weekend. Uh, Sinzel was 0-3 with a walk and two strikeouts. Did have two hard-hit balls today for Louisville. Uh, one of those is actually one of the catches of the day on MLB Pipeline that was circulating around. But Sinzel also played, uh, misplayed a couple balls in the outfield. So really rough day for Sinzel. Uh, hopefully he can find a way uh, to get it going for Louisville. Some pitching notes. Casey Legamina, he got two batters out, did allow two hits but no walks and two strikeouts. Tony Santion had another rough outing, uh, didn't get through a full inning. He allowed three earned runs, two walks, no strikeouts. Ricky Karcher, however, did pitch a perfect inning with a strikeout. All right, down to double A, Chattanooga, they got blasted 10-1 to to Birmingham. Lookout's still a really respectable 59-50 and on the season. Blake Dunn and Reese Hines were each one for four. Down to high A, the Dayton Dragons had a tough loss 6-4 to Fort Wayne. The Dragons gave up five runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. They fall to 57-53 on the season. The Dragons are the only team really in a close second half race for a playoff spot. Of course, the Lookouts already clinched the first half title, but the Dragons, they are a game and a half back in the Midwest League East Division, trailing West Michigan. Some standout offensive performances for the Dayton Dragons on Wednesday. Edwin Arroyo, two for four with a triple. Edwin Arroyo hitting 321 with an OPS over 1,000 in August. Sal Stewart, he was two for three with a double. Sal Stewart hitting 355. He's got a 462 on base percentage in his first eight games with the Dragons. Carlos Jorge, he also got promoted along with Sal Stewart. He's struggling over three, did walk. Jorge just one for 14 so far since being promoted. And then Austin Hendrick was one for four with a double. All right, last but definitely not least, down to low A, the Daytona Tortugas. They lost 8-6 to Tampa. Tortugas now 48-59 and on the season. Hector Rodriguez, however, had a really good night. Three for four with a double. And after a rough July, Hector Rodriguez hitting 354 with an OPS just shy of 900 in August. Cam Collier was one for five. Victor Acosta was one for six. All right, the Reds' next series, they will be taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays come in 67-55 and 55 on the season, seven and a half back in the AL East, but they hold the final AL wildcard spot just one game ahead of the Mariners, so every game certainly very crucial for the Blue Jays. Blue Jays are 8-9 and nine over their last 17 games, but they just got a lot of players back. They got their closer, Jordan Romero, back on Tuesday, and they're also expected to get back on Friday the great Bo Bichette, Kevin Kiermeyer, who's having a nice year for them playing center field, and then Trevor Richardson, a really good relief pitcher. So expecting them to get all those guys back on Friday just in time for this series against the Reds. Friday night, it will be Jose Barrios for the Blue Jays. He's 9-8 with a 3.53 ERA. 
He'll be going up against Brett Kennedy. Berrios started the season slow, but he's got a 2.87 ERA over his last 15 starts. However, he did give up nine hits in six runs against the Cubs in his last start over the weekend. And then for Brett Kennedy, he'll be pitching for the Reds. Reds haven't said yet if Kennedy will for sure be the starter or if they'll use him as like a bulk reliever. Kennedy only seven innings pitched in the big leagues for the Reds this season, but does have a 3.52 ERA in 64 innings at AAA. It'll be interesting to see if this is just a one start for Kennedy. Uh, next time through the rotation, if the Reds will go to maybe someone like Lyon Richardson, who will be eligible to return, that will be uh, still to be determined with uh, Nick Lodolo, uh, hopefully coming back around the 1st of September. Rest of the series Saturday, it'll be Chris Bassett. He's got a 3.95 ERA in 25 starts for the Blue Jays. For the Reds, it'll be Brandon Williamson. And then on Sunday, the return of Hunter Green. So exciting. That'll be the uh, homestand finale. So if you're in Cincinnati, try to get out of the game, support Hunter Green on Sunday. He'll be going up against uh, Ryu of the Blue Jays. He's only made three starts since coming back from Tommy John's surgery. And over his last two starts, he has been great. No earned runs over nine innings pitched. So a tough lefty for the Reds on Sunday. Uh, we will talk more about that on Friday's podcast, dig a little bit more into the uh, Blue Jays, as well as I'm going to have Elijah Evans of Just Baseball on the podcast. He's actually in Birmingham, and he just watched Nick Lodolo's rehab start. So looking forward to hearing his report on Lodolo and then also what he saw from guys like Reese Hines and Blake Dunn. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today for Chatterbox Reds. We just ask one quick favor of you. Please just take us a couple seconds and leave a five-star review wherever you're listening to that podcast. We really appreciate all the support, but just a quick five-star review only takes a couple seconds. That stuff really, really helps us out. Well, I hope that you have a fantastic Thursday. Go out, celebrate our Cincinnati Reds, being right in the middle of a playoff race into late August. And as always, go Reds.